Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come together this morning to worship you. We want to learn how to better bring your name honor and glory. Please help us as a church to encourage one another to do just that, to remind each other of the most simplest of basic gospel truths. We want to do so in a manner that we can reflect our faith onto our community, this Villas community, and those in our lives outside of the Villas community, Lord. We pray that we can do this as a body of believers together. We can be a church known for sharing their faith in Jesus. We pray all of this in His name as He has made this possible. Amen. Amen. A telegram messenger from the early 1900s would have looked like this. Now, if you ask me, in my opinion, Mr. Eddie here was born in the wrong era. I mean, if you look at everybody in this picture, Mr. Eddie, they don't have nothing on you and how you dress. Could you imagine getting dressed each and every day like that, wearing what we would consider like a banker's outfit or a, an attorney's suit to go to the court? See, messengers back in the day were between the ages of 10 and 18 years of age, and in urban areas such as this young man right here that you see, they rode bicycles. In rural areas, they often went by foot. So could you imagine being dressed like that going by foot in a rural area? Think about these young men. Now, think about the expression, don't shoot the what? The messenger. Now, allow me to ask you this question. Is it more about the messenger or the message? Church, see, all of us here, we're all called to be messengers. So I don't know about you, but I'm comfortable being the messenger. You don't get shot if you're the messenger, right? Or maybe you still do. Knowing that it's all about the message is what gives me great comfort. If it was about me and my message and my ability to be the messenger to coincide with my own message, I would be shaking in my boots. See, it is all about the message. And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for our sermon this morning is The Message. We are continuing, as we said, in the book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. If you have your Bibles, please join me this morning. If you do not know worries whatsoever, whatever, you can grab a Bible in the seat in front of you or like always, all the verses will be on the screen. See, last week, Pastor Jared revealed to us that we need to be gospel-focused. He encouraged us in the notion that we can overcome any obstacle, and let's face it, there's going to be a lot of obstacles, especially when you choose to be the messenger, but we can do that by just 
being simply in a position to be gospel-focused. Today, we're going to learn that it's not about the individual. It's not about the individual's motives, in fact. It's not even about the individual's current circumstances, but rather about the message that the individual themselves is conveying. Therefore, let's get into our text this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Amen. These verses this morning go nicely into this one sentence. And what all these verses are trying to say is this. Motives for sharing the gospel may vary, but the result of salvation remains the same. Motives for sharing the gospel may vary. Think about that. They may vary, but the result of salvation remains the same. Salvation doesn't change. There's an account on Instagram. Some of you may be familiar with Instagram. Some of you may not be familiar with Instagram. But there's this account on Instagram. Instagram, for those of you that do not know, it's a social media platform. This particular account that you're looking at right here is called Preacher's Sneakers. And what they do is this. They take preachers from around the country, sometimes around the world, but mainly here in Western culture in the United States, and they pick apart what the pastors are wearing. So we have Preacher's Sneakers for you this morning. Don't pick apart what I'm wearing. Focus your attention on the screens. Coming from the man wearing the bright red shoes, which definitely didn't cost $1,100. The pair of shoes that you see this man on, on this man's feet right here, cost $1,100. Now, I don't think I need to say anything. You can draw your own conclusions whichever way you want to draw your conclusions. The next man that you're going to see here takes the cake. He's wearing a pair of $5,611 sneakers. See, if they picked apart his outfit, which they do that as well, sometimes if you add everything up, they'll wear $1,000 jeans, $2,000 Gucci sweaters, coats, whatever it may be. It's crazy. It's crazy. Think about what we're saying with this overarching thing. This is real. This isn't made up. This isn't make-believe. These are real, ordained ministers of the gospel. But think about what the Apostle Paul ended with. I just want to go back really quick and just say this. He says in 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Now, we're going to get to that. 
But I wanted to give you these two examples of what these men do with the money that they receive from the gospel, whether it's from their church or the books that they write. And I want to give you another example right here. So I'd like you to focus your attention on the screen and just watch this example from a man who's written over 50 books and has a lot of royalties coming in currently. I've always felt that when I was working at Bethlehem, 33 years as a pastor, and now working for Desiring God, Bethlehem College and Seminary, these folks pay me enough. Like everybody else, I get a wage for what I do, and I don't need those royalties. That's, that's the first thought. A second thought I had was, it's dangerous to be rich. Jesus said it's hard for a rich person to get into the kingdom of heaven. He said those who desire to be rich stumble into all kinds of desires that pierce the soul. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. He said freely you've received, freely give. So everything that I admire in the Bible about Jesus and everything that I look at by way of danger disinclines me to want to take these royalties because there's a lot of them. And oh, I don't want to be rich. So we created, Noel and I, um, the Desiring God Foundation. So there's a board now of I think five people, five or six people. And the charge to the foundation, I think, is twofold. To own um, and protect, own and guard the copyrights, the wording of everything I write, all my intellectual property, and secondly, to take the royalties that is paid to those copyrights and channel them into ministry. So we keep about $10,000 in the bank. There are all kinds of tax reasons for that and channel the rest of it. So once a year, the board gets together, usually in December, sometimes in September, and we have a wonderful time. <laughs> <laughs> deciding, okay, let's give away our money. And, um, and, and we do. And so the, the idea is simply protect ourselves from the dangers of wealth. And by no means poor, for goodness sakes. You know, on the world standards, I'm palatially rich. We're in a house. I own this house. I'm rich. Good grief. Who needs all that stuff? It's so dangerous. So that's one piece. Protect yourself from those kinds of horrific dangers and, and channel all that money back into ministry and uh, enjoy the blessedness. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So his name is Pastor John Piper. He's written over 50 books. Now, we're not sitting here today and saying that we agree with everything that John Piper says. Nobody's ever going to agree with everything that I say. But the point is, you have one side that takes what they make from what they do for the sake of the gospel and uses the proceeds one way, and then you have another person who's on the opposite end of the spectrum and gives away all of the money. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Nothing whatsoever. But what are the motives behind what these individuals are doing? And that's what Paul's getting to here in the text. And I'm pretty sure if you ask me, we're not going to see John Piper on preacher's sneakers anytime soon. 
definitely not as sharp dressed as those other men. And we recognize everything that we're seeing this morning, especially what it's talking about with all of which being quite a bit of royalty money that he could have received from all those books and what he's doing with that money. And we get to see that positive goodwill right here in the text, in these next two verses, in this motivation. So we look at verses 15, 16, and 17 this morning, and we see just that. So let's begin before we even get any further, by defining what the gospel is. What is the gospel? I know that some of you think that we define it all the time, and you're like, I get it, but we can never define it enough. The gospel, Milton Vincent in the book of Gospel Primer says this, the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is the good news. Now, if you look here in verse 15, it says, Some preach from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. So what you already had this morning were those who are probably, and I'm not making this assessment for you, but I'm pretty sure that the first individuals that we saw are preaching from envy and rivalry, where you see the latter preaching from goodwill. So why in the world... Would someone want to preach from envy and rivalry in Paul's day? Quite clearly, we can see today where it's going to get you, but why in Paul's day? After all, there wasn't a preacher's sneakers, social media account via Instagram that you could get on to gain fame. So let's take a look at the following two words that we see right here. Envy and rivalry. What in the world is there to be envious of with Paul? I mean, after all, last week, Pastor Jared walked us through where Paul was at the time that he wrote this letter. He wasn't writing it from the house on the hill in $2,000 zapatos. Those are shoes in Spanish, I, I believe. <laughs> Pastor Israel will correct me after service. No, he was writing from prison. So what is there to be envious of? See, this is precisely the problem. He was imprisoned because of his success in being used by God to convert others to Christianity. So they were envious in his ability to persuade others, which motivated them to rival his position. So let's for a moment ourselves think like those. Let's put our thinking caps on and think like those who would want to preach from envy and rivalry. Do you know what we'd be thinking right now if we do just that? We'd be thinking, if I can get others to follow me, as he follows Christ, we can do the same too. We could have a nice salary from preaching the message. We could make money by writing books that are inspired by the message. You notice I said inspired by. It's like watching a movie that says inspired by true events, which really means that they took something that was true and fabricated it to fit the Hollywood narrative in a two-hour movie. 
We would be thinking, hey, we could even have status in society by conveyors of others of the message of good news. Church, those who think like this are the ones who end up on preachers' sneakers. It isn't that they saw Paul living this great life in Paul's day. What they saw was everyone who was following him because of the message. Even though the message got him in prison, so it's almost like they're thinking, if we just take that same message and say it's based off of that message, then we can twist it and turn it and not end up in prison like Paul. Now, secondly, let's look at the word there, or the two words, goodwill. This indicates that others just wanted to be part of everything that God was doing through Paul. Those who preached the gospel from goodwill do what it says right here in verse 16. It says they do so out of love. Why do you think they do this out of love? Why? Because they know that others are being persecuted for preaching the same message. Which is why Paul sums up his imprisonment by saying this right here. He says, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So, how's your defense of the gospel going? From your comfortable home, in your quiet, safe little neighborhood? Really? Paul's looking at his imprisonment as being, I'm here for the defense of the gospel. And yet we sit in our comfortable homes, in our quiet, peaceful neighborhoods, how well are we doing? Are you even concerned with your neighbor's salvation? See, Paul is willing to follow Jesus. And he understands that not only while he is in prison, but he also understands that he's in prison because of his defense of the gospel. But also, he understands that he's willing to follow Jesus wherever, and he's willing to be used for whatever in order to share the good news of salvation through Christ. Do you really want to hear what Pastor John Piper was saying on that video, really? Do you know what he was really saying? See, what he was really saying was he set up what he set up, that foundation, in order to safeguard himself from preaching the message from envy and rivalry. Think about that. He understands his own sinfulness. He's safeguarding himself. He set up a board with his wife being involved. Why? So he can continue to preach the message of salvation to hell-deserving sinners from good will. See, preaching the message out of envy and rivalry is self-serving and motivating. Maybe, just maybe, it's like when we thought like those from envy and rivalry, whose mentality really turns into butts, bucks, published pages equals profits, whose mentality is wrong. And do you know where that mentality leads? What you receive when that is your mentality? 
$5,000 sneakers. Do you know what that mentality leads to, ultimately? Look at verse 17. What does it say? It says, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. It's to afflict anyone from the past 2,000 years who have been persecuted for preaching the message from goodwill. It's to afflict the name of Jesus to whom the message is credited. Church, think about which preachers you support. Think about who it is that you listen to on the radio. Think about who it is that you watch on the television. Think about whose podcast you listen to. Think about that with myself. Think about that with Pastor Jared. Think about that with Pastor Steve. None of us should be getting a free pass. Does the message come from Envy and rivalry? Ask that question. When you hear me preach the gospel, am I preaching from envy? Am I preaching from rivalry? Or does the message come from goodwill? And this brings us to our first point this morning, which states this. The message of salvation through Jesus can be preached from two conflicting motives. The message of salvation through Jesus can be preached from two conflicting motives. Thank goodness that's not our only point this morning. Our main idea for these verses this morning is this. Motives for sharing the gospel may vary, but the result of salvation remains the same. Speaking of motives, I want to ask you a question. What's the source of your motivation? What is it? All right, let's back up a a second really quick. What are you motivated by? What is it in life that motivates you? Now, what's the source of your motivation? Is the source of your motivation your heart? Or is the source of your motivation your mind? What does the Bible say about motives? In the book of Proverbs, it says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So does the Lord look at your heart or does He look at your mind? Both. He can see both. If you believe He's examining your heart, you better be careful. The book of Jeremiah says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, we sure know that God can understand it, correct? Because He does see our heart, which is where our motives start. And I believe this is something the Apostle Paul knew, and this is evident from our final verse, verse 18 this morning. What then, Paul writes, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. See, my understanding of this verse at this stage in my life has completely been transformed. Let's look at the word pretense. Let's look at this word and define it. The definition of the word pretense is this. It's to pretend or it's to play make-believe. 
So those preachers of the message are either pretending to be something they are not, or they are simply honest about who they are in Jesus. Which is why it says right here in the text, in truth, or in truth. Now as Mike comes up this morning, I'd like to ask a question. Who remembers our opening illustration? You know, the one about the telegraph messengers? Do you remember me saying I'm comfortable being the messenger, knowing that it's all about the message? Now, go back to what I said about this verse and how it's changed my understanding at this stage of my life, at this stage of my growth in in the Lord, and how it's been completely transformed. Church, God can use anything. He can use anyone at any time in any place to spread his message of salvation through Jesus. My understanding has been transformed. It's been transformed by how Paul ends verse 18. He ends it by saying, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. Are you proclaiming Christ in your life? Are you? If God can use those who do so in pretense, if God can use those who do so in truth, if God can use those who do it in between, do not sit here today and think to yourself, He cannot do so through me because the bottom line is that when Christ is proclaimed, God can use it. So there is absolutely no excuse. Even those who are using the message of salvation for ill-gotten gain, with ill motives, God still uses it because he's saying that I rejoice that the name of Jesus is proclaimed. So imagine what he could do through you, especially when you sit there and think like, I'm not qualified. I'm not gifted in that area to be able to share Jesus. Again, allow me to ask, do you even care if your neighbor is saved? Some of you may be asking, well, where do I even start? How do I preach the message to my neighbor? Some of you may be asking, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is anybody that God has placed in your path in your life each and every day. And I believe when we are effectively reaching our neighbor, we're doing as the Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 5, that we are loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, Paul there is speaking about serving one another, but he's also talking about serving in the capacity of sharing the good news of salvation or reminding and encouraging an already professing believer's faith in Jesus. There's about five things that we can do in order to do this, in order to be messengers of the gospel, the good news of salvation. See, we must first be proactive. 
Who has placed or who has God placed in your immediate path? Be proactive with those that God has brought into your life. We also must be observant. We must notice the needs of others. Are you actively looking to see who needs what when? Are you able to help or get them help? We also must be compassionate. Are you even concerned with your neighbor's salvation? See, that was a question that was posed to me recently, and I thought, wow, how convicting. Am I even concerned with my neighbor's salvation? Am I missing the forest from the trees or the trees from the forest because I'm so concerned with looking at the big picture that I'm missing what really matters? We must be willing to pay the price. Sharing the gospel with others is sacrificial. That's loving your neighbor. To love your neighbor is sacrificial. And we know that that is true because we look no further than what Jesus did upon the cross. Finally, we must be willing to be inconvenienced. Loving like Jesus, sharing the gospel about what he did is to do so on God's time, not our time. See, we mistakenly think it's our time because we live in a culture that says time is money. But it's not our time. It is God's time. His timing. You can share your testimony. You can share what God has saved you from, either verbally or non-verbally, just by the way in which you live your life. You can, you can do this. You can share the gospel by simply staying up to date with culture. It is good to know what's going on in the world. Not so we can mimic the world, but so we can be relevant. We can't separate ourselves. We need to be relevant in our neighbors' lives. We need to be able to relate with them and let them know what Christ can do for them. Church, we need to be the messenger. And this brings us to our second point and final point this morning. Whether in pretense or in truth, God can use anyone, anytime, any place, and anywhere to save others through Jesus. Whether in pretense or truth, God can use anyone, anytime, any place, anywhere to save others through Jesus. And our final main overarching point this morning is this. Motives for sharing the gospel may vary but the result of salvation remains the same. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for what you have done upon the cross to provide us salvation. I pray that we can be a body of believers that is committed to sharing your truth with others. Please help us 
to see areas that we need to improve upon and areas that we are already doing a good job in to continue to be encouraged to do all of this. We pray this in the name of Jesus makes this possible. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.